Welcome to Data Dialogues. Each Data Dialogue is a three-part conversation. The first two segments individually highlight a person working with environmental data that acts as a starting place for our group conversation with both guests. By talking through who's using what kinds of data and how, we're working to personalize the landscape that environmental data is sitting in so that it can be more accessible and useful to everyone. I'm your host, Angela Eaton. Hi, so today we're hearing from Muki Hakley. Muki is a professor in the Department of Geography at the University College London. For the past 25 years, he's been interested in issues of environmental information and public access, use, and creation. Muki co-founded Mapping for Change and the Extreme Citizen Science Research Group at UCL. Hi, Muki. Hello. Muki, I am so excited to be talking to you. It's um, such a pleasure to talk with you. <laughs> so one of the things that I think about is that um, if we're talking about the environment, we're talking about spaces outdoors, but we're indoors looking at this data. And I, for me anyway, that's my case. So I'd like to start off with an experience or an outdoor space that you really love. Could you tell me about that? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm extremely lucky to live next to a big park in London, Gladstone Park. Uh, which is 10 minutes walk from my home and during all the lockdowns that, that we experienced in the past two years, it was such a relief to walk out and, and there are some corners in the park where you don't see any house and it's just green space. It's very, very nice place to relax and to kind of recharge. Well, a lot of what you do is um, you work with groups on monitoring efforts. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and what brought you to it? Uh, yes, so I'll, I'll start from where it came in. So, so as you kindly mentioned, I started my work around interest in public access to environmental information. So um, now, what it will be 23 years ago in 1998, there was a big and important agreement that was signed in, in the European area, which is called the Aarhus Convention. So it's a convention between now 46 countries, if I'm not wrong, uh, covering public access to environmental information, participation in decision-making, and access to justice. And I was just kind of working on my PhD. And and it just came in the right time because I was asking questions about environmental information. So that's where my interest about the whole public access to environmental information came from. There was things before that, but I started thinking, especially at the time, there was interest in participatory geographical information systems. So on the early PCs, it was suddenly possible to provide information to communities and, and also generate information by communities. So that created an interest of not just thinking about what the authorities can give to the public, but also what the public actually knows. And one of the first experiences that they have was in a workshop where we showed members of a community in uh, South London uh, data that the environment authority, the environmental authorities were keeping about their area. 
And then after a while, they started to say, this is wrong and that's not accurate. And actually, I know that, that the, say, the bus station is not located here. It's on the other side of the street. Can you show me how to move it? And there were people who never touched a mouse and haven't worked with computer. And that's actually gave them the motivation to start sharing information. So that was kind of a a screen-based experience. But at the same time, I was becoming aware of things like Global Community Monitor and the bucket work that they were doing at the time. And I was also thinking about very simple approaches for data collection because it was clear to me that environmental information should be created by the communities just as much as it's created by the authorities. So that finally got into action something like about eight, ten years later when it was possible to work with communities on, on measuring noise level next to airports or using very simple device to monitor air quality and things like that. I'm wondering how... How is it then that um, the community data, the community information, the community knowledge is then taken up by um, policymakers or is there any resistance to that? How do you how do you smooth that out? Absolutely, there is a resistance to that and and it was but it was always assumed that that data and measurement are more important. Uh, valuable or have more purchase on, in the political process than the problems that communities experience. So when someone, in, some, in one of the cases, they told us that for six years they've been complaining about the level of noise and nobody was paying attention, but once they started using uh, noise monitors that we provided them and came to the... Uh, bodies both in the local authority and in the environment agency uh, with numbers that came from their measurements suddenly they were listened to and and it wasn't uh, an argument that this data is the most accurate it's actually to say hey there is a problem here now bring in your expert and measure the situation that's that's actually the way we framed it and we structured it which again it's very similar to to what's going on in the states yeah and and what you do is that you use uh, that data as a starting point to bring people to the room and then at that point the community members can tell the stories because now it's a story baked with data do you feel that um community members needed to have the backing of a researcher at UCL in order to be heard? Or was it something that was um, because they had scientific instruments in order to get that data understood? How, how did that work? I think that you are absolutely right. It's really difficult to separate between the use of the instrument and the, also the extra bit of having UCL in the mix. And I've been talking throughout this time and ever since on mutual co-option that actually the process between the researchers and the community where it worked best is, is each side co-opting the other side. They know what they want to get out of it. Um, 
luckily because I'm interested in participatory approaches and participatory experiments and seeing what happened with environmental information. All this, you know, I, I came to different communities without a specific agenda of saying, I'm here to check about the birds. If you are not interested in the birds, I'm not interested. I could come and say, what, what would you like to measure? What, what is the issue? And let's figure out how we can do that because I was more interested in seeing that. And communities were seeing that as an opportunity to identify a problem that could address with data and then working together to collect it. And indeed, they were using frequently the link with UCL. But since then, I've also seen many cases where the power of data itself worked. You know, so the university wasn't wasn't needed there once the say the methodology was established or the approach was established. What are you working on now that you're really excited about? So I'm kind of gone a full circle and I'm looking again at environmental information as an object of wonder. The the I'm I've just the more I've looked at it, the more I don't completely understand. It raised me all sorts of questions. Like, for example, I think that, that the environmental movement got a really big blind spot to information technology and by association to the technology behind it. So say, although Silicon Valley is one of the biggest collection of Superfund sites anywhere in the US, uh, you kind of look and, and you look for where are the campaigns of the environmental groups against it? Where, where is kind of Greenpeace fighting against Bitcoin, with, which is literally melting the ice? Like there are, it's, it's really literally doing that with pictures of, of servers running in Alaska because it's cheaper to keep them cold. Where are, where are all these things? And I think that that's a blind spot that is coming because the environmentalism is so connected to information and therefore information technology is seen as a friend and you don't challenge it. Something going on there which fascinates me. So those questions are questions that I'm asking now. I also think that there's a, an idea that environmental concerns happen over there, not here. And... You know, I think you're right. There's a technology will save us idea too. Yeah, and and we like with our computers and with our devices, they could last much longer. The operating systems are not really, really optimized to save every ounce of energy and every bit of it, so they would last longer, and all the rest of it could change but we're just not discussing it. And I think that that's really interesting problems about how environmental information is understood and play out in the world. So those those kind of questions I'm asking now. They are academic, I know, but I think that they have implications on practice. So um, that brings me to your data dialogue partner, Sof Petros. Um, so Petros is uh, very interested in fossil fuel divestment and um, is also an environmental educator and activist. I'm, 
I'm thinking about your conversation. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm wondering if you have any sparking thoughts for Soph. Yes. So the the issue of the investment is is a fascinating one because that also led me to to the uh, another kind of things that fascinate me in the same area is is that uh, I'm realizing so where geography is at, at UCL just above us is earth science. And you realize that, that actually the people who were modeling climate change and, and helping with reports about the situation were sitting side by side with the people who were producing the students who would go to fossil fuel companies to generate or to mine all this stuff out of the ground instead of keeping it in. And when UCL a few years ago had a discussion about the investment, it was the earth scientists who really stood up and saying, this is something that, that brings us both students and investment. And how can we say to our partners that we don't work with them? So that's something that fascinates me about the places where there is these contradictions between practices and between where people are going. Um, and how do you deal with those social tensions? All right, then. Well, um, I am wondering, we like to promote community. And if you have any projects that you're working on right now that you'd like to um, give us any information about through websites or social media, would you do that? Yes. So uh, some of the projects that we're working on and people might be interested. First of all, if you look for the Excites story map, you will find examples of work that we're doing with different non-literate groups around the world to allow them to record information about their environment. Uh, we also have uh, some work around uh, helping communities to record information. You can find it in Mapping for Change. Um, some recent projects include, for example, smell and activities around that. And there are uh, one of the big projects that, that um, again, in the university I'm involved in is starting a master's program in citizen science and if you look for Master in Citizen Science at UCL, you'll, you can find that. That sounds exciting. Okay. Um, well, I can't wait for this discussion that you're going to have. And I really appreciate your time today. It was so nice to meet you. We'll talk soon. This segment is one of a three-part conversation series. To listen to Soph Petros' individual conversation with me, or to hear our group dialogue with Mookie and Soph, please visit us wherever you listen to your podcasts or at openenvironmentaldata.org. To read a transcript of this episode and to access resources mentioned throughout the show, please take a look at our show notes, which you can find in the caption for this episode or at openenvironmentaldata.org. This podcast was created by... Emma Grimm, Angela Eaton, Michelle Cherupka, Shannon Dosmegan, Amelia Williams, and Katie Hoberling. With music by The Westerlies. 
Data Dialogues is supported by the Open Environmental Data Project, which is funded by the Shuttleworth Foundation.